Welcome, welcome to Love, Lust, and Magic. I'm here with another interview about, you guessed it, mystical shit. Just kidding, but only a little bit, because we really are going down the path of the mystic, the witch, the astrologer, because today I have the incredible Nadia Diamante, who is an astrologer, a mythic poetic icon, um, a podcast host, and just somebody who understands the Scorpio moon shit like me. In this podcast episode, we talk about her experiences in music, how that led her to astrology, how Costco played into her um, path of mysticism. And we really, really get into the beauty of astrology as a tool for expression through the mythos of the planets and specifically the asteroids. Nadia shares about the erotic asteroids she uses in her astrology readings, about how these can help us and support us and impact us. And she also kind of roasts, not roasts, but reads my chart a little bit. Um, this episode is really beautiful and a really different perspective on astrology than like I think a lot of us are used to hearing. So I hope you enjoy it and that you learn a little something something while you listen. I'll see you on the other side. Nadia, you have been a muse in my orbit for so long. You are an astrologer, a podcast host, a meditation teacher, and a fellow Scorpio moon. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and you came, how you came to live such a magical and mystical life? Thank you for that introduction. Um, <laughs> as Leo rising, and I, I accept that I am worthy of this introduction. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> How I came to live the life that I'm living right now, um, I think if we, if we go back in time, it's all started at Costco when I was 11. Yes, Costco, <laughs> I love, I love her. My mom gave me an opportunity on my birthday to get two things from Costco and I got a giant like CD box set of Disney songs and then I got a giant book on astrology. Aww. So around 11 years old, I started to re research astrology. I was like making my own charts by the time I was like 12 or 13. Oh, wow. I also went to Catholic school, which is like this very, for me, it was like this very ecstatical, spiritual, rapturous um, experience. Like at one point I wanted to be a nun. So um, I don't have a lot of that uh like, I have a lot of, like, soft, tender feelings towards, like, little Catholic baby Nadia. So I think that's when all my spiritualism kind of infused together. Um, and I realized that I wanted to live this life of, I always say, ecstasy, rhapsody, joy. Um, mm. I went in, that's, so I went into the music industry, and that was my career before come, becoming um I never know what the right words to use are for myself because I don't like a lot of yeah. <laughs> like I was going to say spiritualist, but I don't necessarily agree with that before I be decided to come back to my original source is what I'm just going to say. Mm. Um, I worked in the music industry. I had a really great time. I had like my party girl 
20s and teens, to be honest. And when I, I decided to step back once I got laid off from like this big corporate media entity that I was working mm-hmm. for um, and kind of go deeper into my spiritual practices, go deeper into magic, go deeper into mythology, which I, I've loved so much my whole life. Um, and that's the start. If you hear a sound in the background at the microphone, it's just that one of my cats jumped up and now he wants to take the mic. Cute. <laughs> um, Hi, yeah. That is, that is, that is my start. That's how it all began. I remember I used to be at bars sometimes. I was, I've always been like, didn't, I never had a lot of money, but I kind of like got by on charm and magic. And I remember when I was in my 20s, I would go to bars with like a tarot card deck, not even knowing how to read very well at that time and just offering readings for free drinks. And I remember when I was in high school, I lived like maybe a few blocks away from the Bodhi Tree bookstore in West Hollywood. Oh my God, my mom talks about that place. I feel like she (laughs) used to go there all the time and she's like so sad it doesn't exist. I don't think it exists anymore, Um, but I know of her. Yeah, it was such a unique experience in the 90s. You would like walk into the Bodhi Tree bookstore. It would just be, I always say it's like a lot of like like hippies and wizards. Mm. And they'd be sitting around these like 60-year-olds sitting around talking about astrology and all these other yeah. things. There wasn't like a young person in sight because it wasn't like hip or cool to yeah. be into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would just sit there in the corner. They would offer free tea. I would take my little free tea and I would sit there in the corner and just listen to them. <sighs> and then eventually they started inviting me to sit with them and I would just sit quietly and listen. Mm. So my, um, my introduction to the work that I do now, when people always ask me like, what books have you read? What courses have you taken? Who are your teachers? I'm like some some like weirdos and wizards in West Hollywood in the nineties at the Bodhi yeah. Tree bookstore who were just having conversations. So a lot of what I learned was in conversation. I love um, that. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of like, that feels almost like, you know, like in like, ta- like in Hindu Tantra and in like Vajrayana Buddhism or Buddhism, like there's such a, um, like things are in even in kabbalah like things are passed from mouth to ear right there's like this kind of like lineage of like you receive like the oral transmissions you're receiving this information from somebody who's like received it from somebody else and like that kind of just reminds me almost of like the la version of that where it's like yeah like the transmissions aren't necessarily formal but like they're at these centers of like community that like are kind of gone from you know like mouth to ear in its own way so it's it's really beautiful that you're able to kind of have that experience especially now when so much is on the internet like that's kind of like a a more um a rarity now i can imagine yeah i agree with that and i think that's like a really amazing um analogy and i i think when you're in conversation with magical people that it begins to open up something inside of you where you learn through your own um access to that ancient knowledge Mm. versus just like trusting what you're reading or trusting what you're seeing on the internet or trusting you know what is being like some teacher is passing down to you in a very explicit way when it's an unintentional when it's just like a 
absorption of like information and conversation where there's a lot of people disagreeing, which I think is like one of the, the, the better parts of knowledge is the ability mm. to like con- have conversation and disagree. Then it sort of makes you into a different kind of um, spiritual person, you yeah. know? Definitely. Do you have any kind of like, cause I, I, I totally feel that too. And I feel like having those, conversations with people that are kind of like on you know like in the same realm or like on the same journey I guess is a better better word it like it just resonates with you differently and I feel like it's like almost like your subconscious is able to like absorb it because you're just like talking and then it's like oh I like like later on like that day that week that month who's to say like time is fucking fake you'll be like wait like this is what they were talking about or this reminds me of that conversation I had and you're like able to just like make connections in a more like hopefully like integrated in day-to-day way like I feel like you know like that's that kind of experience like lends somebody to like live magic and live that path versus just like reading something and never you know practicing or moving through the world with it and it sounds like those experiences were all kind of like influenced your like you have you specifically have this like really beautiful connection to like the numinous that I see in your work it's like you're really able to like almost like zoom out and like embrace the whole of the universe and I feel like that I don't know is that kind of I don't know if like you identify with that but is that something that you felt like a through line with your work of just being able to kind of like feel the the power of the cosmos or is that something that like you tap into astrology I don't even know if this question makes sense so if it doesn't make sense let me know and I'll rephrase it you know, I get it because what you're describing is a feeling state and a yeah. feeling state is hard to put into words. Yeah. Um, I, it's, the, the world is very complicated for me in particular as a person because I am always zooming out and going into that feeling state. Yeah. Um, I feel like that is a very Scorpio moon thing, actually. Yeah, so for, definitely. Um, and I remember when I was writing, not spiritual writing, but when I was writing like music journalism, I've had a few people tell me that more than a few actually, that they were reading my writing, which was be like about, I don't know, the black keys or something. Just let's name some random band that I was writing about. And it turned them on. Mm. And I was like, that's because I'm accessing my writing or my like what's flowing out is like being channeled and it's coming from a very specific like erotic place inside of me Mm. that is very creative and so when i'm looking when i'm tuned tapping into the universe um or connecting with spirit people that have passed on uh the stars music whatever it is it's really coming from this place of very defined eros like it's like i'm not and it's not something that I cultivated or learned how to do. I think it's just an inherent inside of me. And I think that's like a very Scorpio moon thing is that you got to feel it through this or in this erotic space first, and then it comes out. So I think when we're looking at, you're saying it's like a, see the whole picture. Maybe that's what you said. It's like, um, it's that I'm feeling it like on this, this, level that feels like a mixture of orgasm and suffering (laughs) yes oh my god i I think i told somebody once that i'm like 
cosmic edging. <laughs> yes, literally. Oh my god, I love that. It's also kind of giving Hellraiser, which I'm into, which is very Scorpio in my <laughs> I opinion. I love Hellraiser too. Yeah, it's like pain and pleasure. Like both are both, and um, I love that. I mean, I I definitely resonate with that. I see it in your work. I feel it in your work, and I feel like to me that's like really what I call like the divine erotic. Like I feel like the universe is like the connective tissue of the universe is eroticism. That's like the energy of creation and of life. And um, I love that you're able to tap into it through all these different facets. Are you a Gemini? Am I making that up? Yeah, I'm a Gemini. <gasps> I see it. I love that. Like, I feel like the Scorpio eroticism, it's like you're able to like, that's almost like the, what's passing through like the prism of like the Gemini sun and it comes out in like all these different beautiful facets. Like you just mentioned like the music writing and astrology and like, I know you do some like trance work and how did you like, how, what was the transition like from like sitting at, you know, metaphorically, maybe literally at the feet of these people, like listening to what they're saying, having these conversations and, you know, you've had this kind of relationship with astrology since you were a preteen. How did that transition into like becoming an astrologer or offering like meditation classes? How did you kind of take the leap into becoming like, I guess, a, a full-time mystic? That's a really great question. And it reminded me, I mean, it just like had something click in my brain when you said sitting at the feet, because when I went into the music industry and I worked specifically, I worked at CBS and just different radio stations in LA. They first got into that because um, a DJ didn't show up and they needed to interview an artist who I'd never heard of. And they needed someone just to like jump in and do it. And from there, I got a full-time job because I was working just part-time. And my main job there was to be an interviewer, which was to, like, metaphorically sit at the feet of these mm -hmm. artists also and to interview them and listen to them. So I, I just thought, like, maybe that's just been my path all along is to... Mm -hmm. um, but I think I got a little distracted from the original question. How did I make that leap? Um, well, I guess when I was interviewing these artists, I really wanted to get into spiritual questions with them. You know, mm. I would look at other interviews and it would be, you know, when is your album coming out? Yeah. What inspired your album kind of things? And I would ask them about like what their astrology was. I, I've mm. done, I would pull out my tarot cards and do readings for them. I tried to get my bosses to... Um, let me have like a mixed up spirit uh, interview series where I was interviewing the artist, asking them more like spiritual questions oh, and love. stuff like that. And love, I was love, told love. that no one was interested in that, oh, um, which is yeah. totally false. And I yeah, was literally. like, would have been ahead of my time at the time. Truly. Um, so I, from, I think I just kind of wanted to go deeper into it. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's hard to know sometimes, like, because as a Gemini, and perhaps not everyone feels this, I fall, I fall out of love with my practice all the time. Yeah. Like, I fall out of love with meditating, and then I have to come back to it. I yeah. fall out of love with astrology, and I have to convince myself that I want to continue to be an astrologer. Yeah. But then when I come back to it, I find something that... Mm. Um, is really beautiful and that I get obsessed with again. So mm. 
I'm not even sure sometimes yeah. like what brought me here, but something did, you know? And I, f I mean, I feel like it's also like your path, you know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of us who have these kind of awakenings when we're 12, like 11, 12, 13, it's like, there's a reason. There's a reason we're finding that at this like, you know, crossroad at this coming of age. And um, I also feel like when you're describing this, like falling out in and out of love, there's two thoughts running through my mind. One that is like, that's the reason, or that's one of the reasons that discipline in a spiritual practice is so helpful because it's like, at least for me and my experience as somebody who meditates, you know, every day, I, I, I've been meditating almost five years and I fucking suck at it still. I still struggle. It is still hard for me to like quiet in my mind. And yet I know that like, it's like, the long-term effects of it and like the sitting down to do the thing even if when I don't feel like it is always going to be more helpful than if I didn't do it and like you coming back to these things even when you're transforming your perspective about them is like just a testament to the fact that like you have that discipline and you know that it's going to be like that you're going to come out on the other side and I also feel like you know Scorpio astrologically it's obviously the scorpion but like in alchemy it's also like the only sign that transforms it's the scorpion that becomes the serpent that becomes the eagle and scorpio energy is very much the energy of like i i mean everybody i know who's like a scorpio or has a lot of scorpio placements has, and especially scorpio sons like go through so much fucking trauma and like go through so much shit and like are obviously stronger because of it because that's life and resilience and i feel like you kind of going through these processes of like almost death and rebirth with these practices is like so Scorpio moon, but like every time you find another facet of it, which is like very Gemini, it's, it's really beautiful. And I feel like you asking the fucking rock stars, um, spiritual questions is like iconic. Cause I want that show. I want, I would have listened to that and I would listen to that now. So yeah, me too. I want, I want to still, still want to do it. someday. Yeah. Do you have I any, sorry go ahead no go ahead um finish your train of thought i just have another question about the music stuff when you're done um i was gonna say that i agree with you i think there's a certain level of like determination that scorpio placements have mm -hmm. um that i've really just come to know about myself because i always thought throughout my life due to many reasons i didn't complete things um, most of them were traumatic things and I just kind of gave up on stuff and, but I would keep coming back, even if it's like every few years. And I, I had to shift in the last few years from the mindset of like, I'm a failure to the mindset of actually I'm really determined because it's 10 mm. years later, 15 years later. And I, I keep coming back to it. Like, I'm like, yeah. I, no matter what I'm going to do this thing no matter what happened to me in the past, even if I get triggered and then three years later, I have to do it again, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's a special quality for Scorpio placements in general. Um, yeah. That it's, we thrive sometimes in discomfort. We want things to be uncomfortable because we want to be able to feel the edges of like what is possible for us to mm. accomplish or create. Um, or even just sit with, period. And a lot of the magic that the Scorpio energy has comes from that, yeah. um, is that element of discomfort. Yeah, I feel like it's, um, 
also like uh, I didn't coin this term. This is a, uh, I think her. I don't remember her name, but um, exist like the idea of like existential kink. I think her name is like Caroline. I, she just changed her name recently, but the book you know has there's a book of the same name, and it's like I definitely identify with this idea of like like existential or cosmic like anguish of like loving like the drama and the depth and the jealousy and the pain like for my for my scorpio moon like i've had to realize i'm like oh like i secretly love like the jealousy i secretly love the pain i secretly love like all of this shit because i'm a masochist and it's like what i don't think i want is actually exactly what i want like and actually getting what i want is like what's scary so i'm like it's not like necessarily self-sabotage it's just like liking the intensity of it and but yeah, I definitely feel like that pers the perseverance is, is really powerful. And I, I just admire and applaud the reframe of being like, I might not have finished this on like the timeline that was necessarily quote unquote expected of me. But instead, I'm like, I have the persistence to do it at, at the time that I need to do it when it feels right, even if it's like a long, a long time later. Yeah, I think it's really important for young people to hear a message like that, especially young people, because... Yeah. The world is so chaotic right now and in chaos there's magic but also in chaos there's like exhaustion yeah definitely. and just because something isn't working out right now in your life doesn't mean that it, first of all it doesn't mean that that's the thing you need to finish doing uh, there might be something else there waiting for you behind the the, the veil of your understanding but um also, it, you can just keep coming back to stuff. It doesn't have to be at a specific time and it doesn't have to be perfect. And sometimes it can feel like suffering. I mean, as writers, we understand this. I suffer every time I write. Literally. And that when we have a complete product at the very end of it, we're like, it's like a purging of, and it's an experience that I would like do again over and over, even if it feels uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah um how do you think your or how have you noticed that your work with astrology has like helped you live helped you live a more like integrated and spiritual life like how or and what are the ways that maybe like you guide your clients in this like how do you see it support you in your day-to-day -day? that's a great question i'm very much an advocate of um not using astrology to rule or guide your life and when i'm talking about astrology I, what i i call it modern traditional because mm -hmm. it's uh what we know of it's just a lot of pop culture pop astrology that we mm -hmm. see people using to guide their life i really like the mythopoetic of astrology the storytelling mm -hmm. aspect of it yeah. Because I think in the stories, that's where we get the truest guidance. So mm -hmm. Mercury might be retrograde, but who is Mercury? Mm -hmm. You know, we then we think, okay, there's the communication aspect of uh, Mercury and the community aspect. And we think about all of the different things that Mercury is in charge of. But do we know the story of Mercury or do we know how he's a psychopomp? And he mm -hmm. takes us from the 
you know, from the highest reaches of heaven oh. to the lowest pits yeah. of the underworld. And the, the capacity that Mercury has to give us like a more holistic perspective on our lives. Do we know how Mercury is a trickster and how mm -hmm. he plays tricks because he wants us to learn lessons? Do we know mm -hmm. how Mercury is like our best friend and is able to sort of be that I always call him, especially when he's connected with Venus or Aphrodite, like the brunch buddy. You go and mm. you gossip and you like the information becomes something that is more, um, you know, it, there's like a more social aspect to Mercury. Do we know about his, you know, his role in mythology and what he's done? And once you learn that, you can get a closer relationship to Mercury, just like if you have a friend that's a little bit flawed, <laughs> that mm -hmm. has, that sometimes might do things in your life that cause a little bit of chaos. And then you can sort of look at the Mercury retrograde as an experience of, I'm going through this storyline because I need to learn how to go deeper or go higher. This is happening to me because I need to learn how to um, let go, have fun, like allow the trickster to play its tricks mm -hmm. and realize that's sort of like the story of life as it is. Yeah. Um, so I, I love to look at everything from that mythic poetic lens. And also because I think it com uh, connects us more as a collective and very, yeah. very specifically personalized astrology can be... Um, a, very limiting. And when we focus just on ourselves in astrology, we're missing the whole picture of how we connect to everybody else. Mm. Wow. So when I talk to my clients, I think I get a clients that want me to be just like a life coach when they're getting a yeah. reading. And they want me to tell them exactly what to do and how, and they want to hear the like fearful message. Yeah. Like, you need to do this because X, Y, and Z is going to mess up if it doesn't. I'm like, that's not how I work. Yeah, I work by telling you a story. I'm not a healer. I'm not a life coach. I'm not a therapist. I'm telling you the story of the stars and mm. your own, like, cosmic narrative, your own personal myth and your mythic journey. Mm. And you're going to be flawed, and that's going to be okay. Let's embrace it. Let's enjoy yeah. it. And... um and it's really interesting how people want, like, how they, how they, like, attach themselves to their own personal story. So then when they're thinking outside of that personal story, um, it doesn't always resonate with them. Yeah. <laughs> well, first off, that's, that was so beautiful about Mercury. Mercury, I always pronounce that really weird. Um, I love that. And I love this reminder that astrology is a tool for us to connect to something greater than ourselves. It's a tool for us to be more compassionate, understanding both within ourselves and our sovereignty and our ability to transform just like Mercury transforms and also a way for us to feel like in community. That's just, that was really, really beautiful. And, you know, like I recognize at the end of the day, even in myself, my own practice that like spells rituals astrology all of this shit is a way to try and control the unknown the chaos right the universe because yeah. at the end of the day i could step outside and die knock on wood at the end of the day nothing matters you know like it, it we we live we have free will and yet the universe has in my opinion like she's gonna do what she wants no matter what and i feel like mm -hmm. sometimes people come to astrology like really 
forgetting that they're sovereign beings, forgetting that they're like independent beings, that like your like your fate is not set in stone. Like you're like you could give somebody a date for something and it might not happen. And that does not mean that you're not like a I mean, you know, I don't know if you give people dates, but it's that was something I was experiencing with one of my other like reader friends and people, it's just the balance of like recognizing that you're just like a little cog in the universal machine and then recognizing that you're also an individual cog in the universal machine is like it can be a lot but i i love the way that you work with stories the way that you work with both archetypes or deities if you identify with like that kind of terminology like it Mm -hmm. i think that stories are some of i mean they're so important it's so important to have stories it's so important to have myths and i think that it makes us feel less alone, especially when it comes to, like, the cosmic. Like, for me, as somebody who worships the goddess and works with within her mythology and honors her mythology, it's, like, I feel like recognizing that the divine feminine or that goddesses are also, like, not perfect. That, you know, like, Venus is not perfect. Uh, a set is not perfect, right? Like, Anana, Eris, whoever it is, like, they're beings that have their own kind of ideas and energies and stories and i think that when we're able to recognize that even like these faces of the divine have their own kind of flavor it allows us to have more of an understanding of like you said like our own imperfections and flaws and like that actually like those imperfections and flaws and those the chaos that we have in our life like if we're living in my opinion like a magical life if we're actually like in you know, integrating, then, like, those are the things that become the lessons, the medicine, like, that is the path, you know, so I really just, I love your perspective, and I think it's something that's, like, really missing in a lot of ways from, like, the occult or astrology milieu, and milieu, I don't know how to pronounce words today, um, so just, yeah, bravo, that was a really beautiful kind of little, um, speech. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I work with Ishtari Nana. She's from my mm-hmm. ancestral background, and she is absolutely flawed. And that's yeah. why I, I work with her and I love yeah. her because she's so, and she's right behind me. And in my yeah. case, so I don't want to say anything to her. But she, <laughs> she would probably agree that she's a bit of a diva. Love. Um, and if you read her stories, you're like, that was sort of shady. <laughs> what you just mm-hmm. did was. Uh, very like the way that she spoiler alert ancient um, mythic narrative she kills Enkidu because Gilgamesh doesn't want to sleep with her Um, stuff like that you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it I'm she also like like sees her husband hanging out on her throne when she's the underworld and she's like okay bitch your turn you and your sister can split it like i appreciate the feminine like sovereignty and rage for sure but like you said like these when we work with these goddesses or these beings and we see their imperfections it like i don't know can kind of like give us permission that like we don't have to be perfect to be worthy of like recognizing our divinity yeah I I'm very much like lean into your imperfections actually. Yeah, I love like that. I, I I'm a little bit of of a watch a Disney villain and see how they do it kind of person. Oh my God, I love it. What's your rise? Not complete not completely. Yeah, of course. you know, but just to get just the lessons of just some notes. 
I'm a Leo rising. Oh yeah, you said that. Oh my god, it's such a spicy mix. The the Gemini, Scorpio, Leo. It's very strong energy, but I feel like that Gemini, it's like I don't know, I feel like it's kinda like the the prism, the filter for the water and the fire. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I have Venus and Taurus con conjunct my midheaven. So Ooh. I think I'm pretty balanced there, but definitely Venus, the goddess, uh, comes through in everything that I do. And I'm trying to bring her more to the altar of life. Hmm. How did your like connection or relationship begin specifically with Venus or also like Anana Ishtar, like... Um, obviously different goddesses, but I do feel like they're current as goddesses of love are kind of, you know, connected. So how did you, like, how did that part of your, like, mythic poetic expression kind of come to be? And what does your um, devotional practice or connection to to the goddess of love look like for you? So the how is a wild story. Um, my dad is a Syrian. He's a Syrian born in Iran. And he left me and my little sister when I was about 13 years old. So I didn't really get as much of a connection to my Assyrian background as I yeah. might have wanted. I did have, yeah. you know, some experience with my Assyrian family. Um, but when I was about 18 years old, I started to have this dream slash I don't know what it what you would call it exactly, but I started to chant like when I would get nervous, Ishtar the superstar, Ishtar the superstar, oh God, over and over again to the point where I made it into like one of my first ever emails, Shut and up, I didn't I, I didn't know who Ishtar was. I had no clue. I just knew the word plus superstar. Like I would just because I didn't grow up with my Assyrian background, yeah. and you know Assyrians now are Christians, so I wouldn't yeah. have learned about Ishtar that way. And um, when my I was little, my grandmother sent me like um, a little gold necklace in a bag of pistachio nuts because you couldn't send gold from Iran at the time. So she had to like glue it inside of a pistachio nut. But the little gold Ooh. necklace had an image of the Lamusu, which now I know guard mm -hmm. the gates of the Temple of Ishtar. And I lost it when I was about 19. And again, I didn't know what it was connected to. I just knew it was from my grandmother, right? It's been mm -hmm. a really long time. So I got it tattooed, like a, the Lamusu tattooed on me oh. from, in like a tattoo place in Canoga Park. And the owners were like Harley um, Davidson, Hell's Angels people. Mm -hmm. But so it's kind of a really bad tattoo. But, <laughs> but I felt really connected to, to the, both the Lamusu and I kept hearing Ishtar the Superstar. And then one night I had a dream of all of the little parts of the Lumusu, you know, the, the bull and the eagle and the human, like, coming together. And it was a really powerful dream. And in the dream, I it said, Ishtar is, is, like, calling you. She's waiting oh. for you. And again, I had no idea who Ishtar yeah. was. Then I went to work one day. And it, I, would, I was like 19 and I was working at a record store in Santa Monica on Santa Monica Promenade. And this guy comes up to me and he like asked me out and, he asked, and I give him my email 
Um, and he's like, oh, Ishtar, like the movie. And I was like, yeah, like the movie, whatever. He's like, or is Ishtar like the goddess? And I was like, like head turn. What do you mean? Ishtar like the goddess. What is, what does that mean? So I immediately went up mm. and went and looked up Ishtar and found out some information on her very mm-hmm. little at the time. Um, and I remember thinking like, I was being directly called to her. Like she mm-hmm. was very powerfully saying, uh, you, you need me in your life mm. and you need me to, to be working with you. But it did, I didn't do it right away. Like I didn't take the call right away. It took me yeah. maybe like 10 years, maybe yeah. 15 years to really start working with her directly because I was afraid to yeah. work with, I was afraid. I mean, I can't even, t- I mean, I worked with ISIS. I worked with, um, uh, boss. I worked with like a lot of other deities before I worked with Ishtar. And though that felt like not an incomplete experience working mm-hmm. with them. And I was like, maybe this isn't, I'm not a ritualist. Maybe I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to be doing any of this yeah. stuff. And then it just, one day I was like, I have to do this. Like I have to set up an altar for her. I have to learn more. I have to understand this process a little bit more. And so now my ritual, my routine with her is really, um, when I'm going through my, in my, when I'm in like darkest places, I come to her. So Mm -hmm. I don't work with the love aspect with, of Ishtar as much as I work with the underworlds aspects of her. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing that story first off. And I, I love that you, you listened and, you know, like you came to her at the right time, even if it was 10 or 15 years later. And I, at least for me, like one of the most, like one of the most important parts of my worship of goddess of devotion of the goddess is that she is there for me in those like dark times that like I know when I'm like struggling and when I'm like really going through it that like she is there and um yeah I think that like there's no such thing as coincidences and you having that experience is is so beautiful and I love that you have your altar for her and that you know she's she's there for you when you need her and yeah it's really beautiful and um you started working with Venus after Ishtar, is that correct? I I mean, I work with, I mean, they're syncretic, really. Yeah. I work with yeah. Ishtar in the same way I would work with Venus. I don't, like, have an altar to Aphrodite or yeah. Venus because I consider Ishtar to be, yeah. I, I mean, I worked with Isis and Boston. Um, I still have altars to them because I feel bad taking oh. them off, but I don't do as much work with them. I understand. Um, but yeah, I'm not necessarily someone who has like rituals or routines or things that I do with goddess. Um, I feel like the most important thing for me and perhaps for some others who aren't drawn to ritual is to just be a living embodiment of yeah. your deity. Exactly. I love that. And I, I was going to say, like, I see it in you. It's like it's your rituals are like your day-to-day life and how you express Mm -hmm. and embody her through like living that energy and i think at the end of the day like that's like the rituals are uh one path to get to that place and um 
that's really beautiful do you also kind of work with like you know like i know that there's like lots and lots of asteroids and a lot of asteroids specifically connected to like different goddesses is that like part of like your astrology work as well like integrating like the different asteroids of the goddesses into your readings or into your own yes, kind and, of work yeah and this right now is like what i'm most excited about i need to like uh create a program around it honestly because i love to do it but i work with all of the asteroids and i work with um there's a lot i mean in the into the 20,000s at this point i think um but the ones that i work with the most are the mythic asteroids and also the asteroids around love beauty Mm. the erotic um i work with what i call queer asteroids when i have readings specifically with other queer people I work with, um, and then I work with the muses. So I definitely Mm. connect a lot to the muses. Um, And I can talk about those erotic asteroids that I work with predominantly right now, if you want me to. Absolutely, let's go. Okay. Um, (laughs) So let me just tell your listeners, if you want to look up asteroids, you can do that on astro.com and just do the extended reading. Mm -hmm. I I have a video on my... um, link tree on my instagram at naughty and noir that shows you how to do it uh or i can record something later when this podcast comes out for everyone but i work a lot with the first one is the erotic muse which is erato and also excuse me for not um saying all these names correctly i've never been good at other languages other than english (laughs) so uh words are not in this and i have mercury retrograde in my chart so um (laughs) um erato which is asteroid number 62 is the muse of erotic poetry oh love um so she connects you i i say in your chart she connects you with both your power and your struggles with erotic language and sexual situations and professional so if you're a writer that likes to write about erotic topics, then then she could be very important in your chart. But she's also how you speak with passion and emotion in your language. So like oh, even beautiful. pillow talk and like sexy talk. Um, then I work with some of the erotes, which are the winged gods that are associated with Aphrodite, um, love and desire. We have Eros, which is asteroid 433 which is, I like to say, the sexy manifestation of what we know of Cupid. Um, Eros is the embodiment of carnal desire and love. Mm. And Eros helps people to fall in lust and even Mm. inflame them and help them make very questionable decisions. Wow. (laughs) Um, Like a good time. Yeah, a good time. Uh, All of the gods could be very cruel, and Eros was one of them too. (laughs) So, you know, the libido itself and love itself can be cruel. Um, But I think of Eros, a lot of people think of Mars as libido. I look at Eros in the chart as libido. Sometimes I pull Psyche along with Mm -hmm. um, Eros because of the love story. Mm -hmm. Eros is the libido, then Psyche is the pure soul love. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're sort of intertwined there. um, Sometimes when I look at Eros, I always also look at Enteros and Hediglogos, uh, it's H-E-D-Y-L-O-G-O-S, and mm-hmm. Enteros is requited love, Ooh. and twin brother to Eros, created for Eros, so that again, with that same idea of psyche, it's intertwined, like requited love, 
um, and lust. They're, they can exist without each other, according to the ancient Greeks. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's good to see this in like a full romantic reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hediglio Logos, Logos is the Greek god of sweet talk and flattery. And sometimes Ooh. you can pull Erato, Hediglogos, and Babel together. So there's a Babel asteroid, like the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. which I think all together they show a power over erotic language. Then we have uh, the, Ish- the, um, the primordial goddesses, I like to call Ooh. them, which are Ishtar, Inanna, Babylon, and Astarte. Love. So, yeah, all of them have asteroids. Um, and, you know, they're all sort of syncretic in forms of each other, but mm-hmm. they also have their own unique qualities, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pull these to represent the more primordial forms of ancient Eros, like the underworld, the shadow, the deep obsessive magic of sexuality, um, how to get to the deeper, more ancient places of desire. Yeah. We can put Lilith in the mix here. She's not an asteroid, though. She's a mathematical point in the sky. The one we work with oh. is Black Moon Lilith. Yeah. Um, and just she signifies that point between the moon and the earth at the time you're born. There's also an Lilith asteroid, but I don't know anyone that pulls like Lilith the asteroid. They just usually work with Black Moon Lilith. And I personally read Lilith as the expression... Um, representation of expression and repression of our two true sexual nature mm, so yeah both the shadow and the light and i know that goes against a lot of how other people work with lilith but um i think that going like straight into the dark feminine aspect of it sort of amplifies the misogyny in her myth yeah and i choose to work with her sexuality as like an empowered sense of self yeah me too that she's she might be like that dark shadow aspect of our sexuality, but sometimes that can empower us. Yeah. Again, that's from the Scorpio moon's lens. So, yeah, you know, um, and then I feel the same cause I work with Persephone and Persephone. I think of as like a Reshkigal and the Mesopotamian mm. goddess of death in the underworld. who is Ishtar and Nana's sister. Yeah. I think of Anana or Ishtar as a Gemini and a Reshkakal as a Scorpio. And again, that's because maybe I'm a Gemini son and a Scorpio. <laughs> I've had lots of conversations about this with like uh, Assyrian mythologist people. And they're like, that also love astrology. And they're like, yes, Ish- Ishtar is a Gemini. She's absolutely 1000% Gemini. Yeah, and a Reshkakal I mean, is for sure a Scorpio. Yeah, um, Ishtar being the goddess of like the underworld. And then, I mean, uh, Ishtar is the you know goddess of heaven earth and underworld like all those dualities and all that kind of like almost yeah like that like light and breath of expansion i definitely see that and yeah irish giggles of very i mean she was like hey bitch take off all your clothes and hang on this hook for three days like that's some scorpio <laughs> shit like that is that some scorpio is some, shit yeah that's the <laughs> next level she's like suffer for me to show that you're my sister and you love me thank literally, you literally but then also validate me like make me feel seen yes. like so funny i love that absolutely and that's the way like they rescue ishtar is they yeah. they have a shunamir shunamir which is like the be this being of light which is like i think one of the first ever trans mythology stories that we have um comes and like basically doesn't even flirt with Areshkigal, but it's just so beautiful that Areshkigal is like anyway, it's a long story but um the she is 
Ishtar is rescued through Reshkovo getting validation from Mm -hmm. at first, because then the story switches, but from a uh, validation from a a Shunamir. But um, Persephone is, I think of as like a Reshkogal because we don't have an Reshkogal asteroid. Um, And Persephone's name means she who destroys the light. So when people look Mm. at Persephone as like, she's both spring goddess and underworld goddess. I feel like this is just people's way of trying to understand their own like binary aspects but i don't think that we should think in the binary aspects of like we're both spring and winter like i feel like we can be like we're all seasons bitch we're like everything i don't that label dichotomy is seen as like a superpower but i think that's really exhausting to think of yourself as like i don't know I, i feel like it can be we don't have to label ourselves we don't have to label the multitude of our desires and we can be like like underworld goddesses at the same time as we are goddesses of light um and we can hold both at literally the same time and not have to say like we play these sort of separate roles i think so much of people's literal exhaustion in the world is trying to play all these separate roles and thinking of them separately not as something that's together um i use sappho achilles and patroclus and queer astrology and really those help me to see people's just general queer longings and relationships and then there's the hedonists that's what i call them um dionysus bacchus and pan again they're all sort of syncretic with each other and uh, they're wonderful ways to see how you let yourself loose um and how that decadence can overwhelm you or overcome you like mm. when, how you ch- choose to embrace decadence and then the last erotic asteroid which i use very rarely but every once in a while um if i think it's right for the person because i kind of come into any reading that i'm where i'm using asteroids especially erotic asteroids intuitively sometimes i work with asmodeus and i don't even like to say his name <laughs> um for those who don't know asmodeus is the demon of lust essentially that's how you like nutshell it I work with demons just as much as I work with angels, which is like very rarely. Um, I wouldn't recommend for people listening to work with him unless you're ready to look at the most like wrathful, angry, sexually primal, jealous, vicious, manipulative and erotic parts of yourself. Like, especially Mm -hmm. if you lean towards having those as parts of yourself. Um, and, and, if you're willing to look at those parts of yourself, then you also need to, within the reading space, be willing to embrace them rather than denounce them. Mm, so that's I just my that. little disclaimer there, because I think that you can easily work with demons if you're willing to think of them outside of Christ, like the Christian ide- uh, ideologies of what demons are. Because yeah. ancient goddesses, especially Ishtar, you know, they had demons working, working for them. them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I come from a culture where a demon is not necessarily um, something to be denounced. Rather, you (laughs) have them working on your side. Um, So in your chart, you want to hear about your chart? Well, yes. I just want to comment two things. First off, when you're talking about Persephone and that duality, like, I feel like that was like the best little like rant on non-duality ever because it's like instead of those things being separate it's like both and it's like kind of holding space for 
all of the things. And then when you don't have that binary, it's like things aren't quote unquote good or bad. You're not a good or bad person. You just are a person with experience or like you are a, you have, I, I just, I really resonate with kind of expanding past that idea of just of having to be these two separate things and being all of the things instead. Again, very Gemini. I love it. Um, and in like, you know, Crowley's magic, one of the things, and Aleister Crowley, which everybody's problematic, he did some problematic stuff, but was also one of the most influential magicians in the West. Like if you're an occultist studying any kind of Western magic, like he influenced you in a positive way and got that out there. So a little rant, not that I completely support all his work, you know, like just needed to say that. But one of the things that he says that I really resonate with is that when you're working with demons, um, it's you're working with your like, and this is like probably kind of reductionary, especially coming from, you know, this is like Western magic. So it's a lot newer um, in a lot of ways. You're, when you're working with demons, you're working with your own, your own shit. Like your, the demons are reflections of your own psyche and they're physical representations and manifestations of the, of the parts of yourself that you are, you need to tame and control to like live, you know, an integrated life or whatever. So yeah, I think there's, you know, Christianity really loves to seep its, itself into these different kind of traditions and just a reminder that, yeah, like, saying that demons are bad and angels are good and it's it just can be can be very yeah reductionary so um i appreciate that yeah. perspective and would love to hear about my asteroids yeah i want to just like um jump onto what you just said i think that it's really important if you want if someone wants to become an astrologer and they want to go deeper into astrology for them to learn not just Western astrology mm. that they know of, but to learn um, sidereal astrology, Vedic astrology, Hellenistic astrology, which is Western, but also yeah. to go into the depths of where astrology came from, whether you mm -hmm. believe it's originated in ancient Egypt or with the Assyrian Babylonians, mm -hmm. that it will tell you so much about the language of astrology and your help to like, if you become an astrologer, enhance your own understanding of it. Because when we're talking about something like demons, if you're coming from it from a Christian point of view, you're never going to be able to see the value in like the, dem the de demonic mythologies. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from a Babylonian point of view, then you're going to know that the demons are helpers. Yeah. So if you, and I know there's other kinds of astrology and star lore throughout the world you might be able to find like celtic star lore or um you know star mayan star lore and that it's really important for you uh, an astrologer especially if that's your lineage to learn mm -hmm. it because then you can sort of erase all of them the programming you might have if you come from like a westernized culture especially if you it's like a like a more Christianized, Westernized culture, right? And that's, I think, a big part of being um, a successful, I want to rephrase that because I don't want to use words like success anymore. <laughs> I think that's a big part of becoming um, an, a knowledgeable astrologer and to not, to take it from pop culture, which is there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but to take it deeper and then sort of 
even if you're not an astrologer, even if like you're just a magic practitioner, right? Yeah. To learn all these different things and then come back to your own traditions, come back to your own ancestry, come back to your own lineage and then expand from there. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's when I you're starting at like the base, you know, you're starting with your own roots. Yeah. You're noticing the magic in your own life and your own veins and then you're taking that where it will. But I think that's beautiful advice. Yeah. So your chart, the thing that popped out to me the most, and I wish we had a video and I could just like put my little circle around the chart, but um, <laughs> your chart is that you have uh, both Erato, the muse of erotic literature, and Babel in Gemini in the ninth house. Ooh. So you have the combination of erotic literature and communication in the ninth house of publishing. Wow. And... I mean, that's pretty <laughs> perfect for you. I love it. I, I think in erotic astrology, why I look at uh, the ninth house as like the great library of erotic knowledge. Mm. So both Erato the Muse and Babel, which is like the antenna for communication, are in your ninth house, allowing you to publish this language. And in Gemini, suggesting that you're meant to disseminate erotic information to a large group of people. Oh, finally, some um, Gemini placements in my chart. Thank you, goddess. Finally. <laughs> yeah, muse. you're being directly influenced by the erotic muse, the the erotic muse of language. Oh, is and this why I see. love Gemini men? Like, I'm obsessed with Gemini men. I wonder if it's Especially cause... if they can talk to you in the right way. Yeah. Talk to you the right way. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, probably. It. <laughs> yeah, it's, the it's the language. Um, they're oh. your muses as well, probably, Gemini yeah. men. Definitely. Um, we we have Babylon conjunct mm. your palace Athena in sixth house. So there's many mm. interpretations to sixth house, but in erotic astrology, I read the sixth house as your place of ritual. Mm. Um, and so this is making your sexual desires or creative desires as part of your, your routine. Are you working directly with the magic? So if you have palace Athena in the sixth house, you are somebody that uses ritual as part of your daily strategy. Mm -hmm. Palestine is counterpart to Mars. She's not the chaos of war, but the strategy, the intelligence behind it. Mm -hmm. In the sixth house, what you're battling is your everyday life. But instead of cowering with Palestine in the sixth house, you're choosing to strategically take care of yourself. With Babylon mm -hmm. conjunct Palestine, this means that this goddess Babylon is part of your daily ritual and, and both, and also part of the mundane magic that guides your life. They mm. come together to help like help you to strategize how you're going to use your sexuality in a productive and powerful way. And they're in Aries. So you're mm. working with the power of fire. So like you can think of all the um, elements of Aries, the colors, the feeling behind Aries. That's how your both your Babylon and your um, Palestine are working. But there there's very much like a creation destruction thread to your life. Ooh, if the the routines aren't working, you you're the goddess says to destroy them. Yeah. You also have Eros in the sixth house. So you have, you know, Cupid in the sixth house, which contributes to part of your daily routines. So this means whether you're working out, eating, doing your job, this they're all sort of intricately connected with your sexual desires. It goes back to the thing I originally said about how when I'm writing, I like infuse my eros in there. When yeah. you're doing your like day-to-day -day things, 
your everything is infused with eros yeah um i feel it i feel it and i literally like i mean i i have my like daily ritual practice that i i do every fucking day no matter if i'm hungover or tired or sick um and one of those things is literally lighting my babylon candle and praying to her and praying to other goddesses that i'm devoted to and it's like um yeah i definitely feel like that web is woven into like different facets of my work and my writing and my erotic work and my day-to-day so absolutely feel that for sure yeah and then other parts of your daily routine what we would see like in the third house you have both Bacchus and Dionysus conjunct in your third house third house is like the access to learning the access to language the access to conversations like this showing that you are a hedonist of language and knowledge but you that Mm. learning is your biggest gluttony I literally say knowledge most- makes me horny. So, like, learning it's makes totally me horny. So, right, it's right real as fuck. <laughs> totally right on with the asteroids. And the other um, asteroid placement that I think is really powerful in your chart from what I know of you is you have Astarte, which is basically Ishtari, mm-hmm. Nana, the Phoenician and Canaanite goddess of love and fertility. She's conjunct your Venus oh. and the sun in the fifth house of love and fertility. Oh, I didn't so- know that you yeah you have like a a venusian goddess conjunct venus conjunct the sun in the fifth house um if you're just now like learning about gabby then you're understanding where all this venus stuff is coming from right Mm. just even from looking at the asteroids that you're a living embodiment of these ancient primordial goddesses (laughs) and this is not just like something that you do to make money this is your fun. This is your pleasure. This is an expander for you. And this is how you make things grow in your life. And the more you in particular embrace the goddess that is intrinsic to who you are, because she's conjunct your Venus and conjunct your sun, then everything else expands in your world. So you're coming from everything, everything you do from a place of pleasure. I think the world can see that this is why you're so well received. (laughs) Because there's so much like love and fun in what you're doing it's not just like um doing it to to get an audience you're doing it yeah. because this is your favorite thing to do oh thank you for and the goddess that. is like please do this <laughs> <laughs> i'm here for her like i she is that my true will is to be a slut for goddess like i'm here to help to help her and definitely not for clout out of chosen something less hyper hyper specific and hyper niched if if i was just a clout chaser um but that wow that was really beautiful and i i just thank you thank you for that i definitely um i feel it and i get so much joy and just love doing anything related to the goddess and um i feel that so to have that yeah it's like very validating to have that in my you know my astral dna yeah i love working with asteroids because of it it helps us to see beyond the story that we know and see deeper into other stories like in astrology we are only working with a very tiny amount of astral dna and cosmic um knowledge and there's other constellations, there's other co- like cosmic bodies out there that all have stories attached to them. So why aren't we working with them? 
Yeah. Because when we work with what I call modern traditional astrology, there isn't very much balance there. It's a lot of patriarchal archetypes mm-hmm. because astrology was sort of ripped away from the the ancient people and become like a kingly art. Yeah. Like made exactly. to to advance the king and like the 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 royals. So why are we using especially in 2023 if you don't identify as if you're like anti-capitalist and like um anti uh, and you're not a royalist and you're against all of these things whatever your political leanings are but if you're sort of trying to stroke take the power back to the people then it's important to t- find the other stories of power that aren't just like the patriarchal narrative, yeah. you know? So every asteroid you can add, especially ones that give more balance and help to allow the, um, uh, both the feminine and the masculine and any everything in between to like be all balanced together, then you see a bigger picture and you can see representations of more people and there's in the world and there's more astrological inclusivity that's what the asteroids do i love it i really just love and resonate and admire your your perspective and your knowledge and your wisdom like it is very obvious very obvious that you've like are very well studied and it is also very obvious that this is coming from like a well of wisdom that is like part of you and bigger than you and connecting you to like these bodies and I love that I feel like yeah like astrology I mean the fact that there's literally one you know Venus is like the only quote-unquote I mean Venus and the moon feminine kind of expressions of being in astrology it's like yeah I think the you have if you haven't won somebody over for using asteroids in this episode then like what the fuck especially with erotic <laughs> asteroids like that is such a a beautiful way to reclaim your sexuality, reclaim your sovereignty, recognize your innate power. And like, it's a tool that you can use to then create like a magical practice or devotion or prayer. Like Mm -hmm. these are ways for us to integrate these energies into our life. And I just really am so grateful for you coming on here and sharing and slinging the asteroid wisdom. You're welcome. Yeah, anytime I'm excited to talk about sex asteroids magic music um just to talk shit honestly i love it so um and i know that you have your podcast as well where you kind of go through like each season of like um it's like a seasonal music and like astrology podcast correct am i making is that right yeah, so I have a uh, podcast that's called Ancient Invisible. It's only available on Spotify because it's more like a music and astrology show. Cool. Um, it's, it's, I talk through the sun seasons and the astrology of the sun season. I also talk about mythology, um, whether it's the Greco-Roman mythology and then also the Babylonian star lore and that mythology. Uh, I also talk about any asteroids that are peeking out at that time. So if you want to go deeper into that, uh, there's also like incriminating stories from my past. Love. Um, it's very, I call it like a, a music zine because I don't edit anything. I just speak from my heart yeah. and um, whatever comes out, comes out and it's chaotic and it's messy. It's a very long form show because in between the talking about astrology, there is music that is inspired by the sun season. 
Um, love. Because I personally can't listen to podcasts that are just laying like people talking. Yeah. And I was like, what can I do for my, the other ADHD baddies out there? Yeah. I <laughs> so understand. I a podcast where it's like 20 minutes, 10 minutes of talking, 15 minutes of music, 10 minutes of talking, 15 minutes of music. And that's the way my brain likes to function. So it's like four, it looks like four hours and like, holy shit, that's a long podcast, but it's actually just a ton of music in there. Um, And then I'm also doing readings and I'm going to offer, you know, uh, the erotic astrology readings coming up. So if you want a book, you can go to my website, Nadia Diamante, uh, D-I-A, Oh my gosh, I can't even spell my fake last name. <laughs> it's D-I-A-M-A-N-T-E. I have it on my yes. app right now. D-I-A-M-A-N-T-E.com. Oh, I'll link all of it below and I'll link the yeah. um how to do that the asteroid selection um video that you have as well. We can link that below. Awesome. So yeah, that's those are the places that you can reach me. And Yay. awesome thank you so much for being on the show nadia i hope you have a lovely rest of your day you too thank you well i hope you enjoyed this episode of mythic poetry with nadia bekuchar i just loved hearing her express the cosmos in such a potent and artistic way and i swear there's just something about scorpio moon to scorpio moon connection that i love um nadia was kind enough to create a workbook for erotic asteroids that i am linking below so please check that out it's totally free and if you like this episode if you're obsessed with this episode if you love or obsessed with this free um, ebook that she created make sure to book a session with nadia i have included her links and her website below and if you want even more goddess magic make sure to pre-order my new book goddess energy awakening the divine feminine through myth and magic which comes out on march 19th it's less than a month out and if you order if you pre-order the book between now and march 19th you get an exclusive ritual guide sort of thing it's really just like an exclusive beautifully illustrated pdf with an exclusive tarot spread an exclusive set of affirmations and an exclusive set of journal questions all aimed to help you embody goddess energy. These are not found in the book or anywhere else and it's a really good deal. So go pre-order. It helps us so much and you can find a link for the pre-order and then the bonus below. If you want even more magic, this Sunday, February 25th, I am hosting a Zoom class called Creating a Daily Practice that is inspiring, fun, and feels good AF. It's going to be so much fun. It is $33 from 11 to 12.30 p- a.m. PST. And well, 11.30 a.m. to 12, 11 to 12.30 p.m. PST. And it will be available on Zoom afterwards. Um, so I will be listing that class later. But you can go purchase a ticket now. You can also get my pre-recorded classes on my website, which you can find below as well as all my other books at the link below. You can follow my Patreon for even more exclusive content like ritual guides, essays, and more. And I'm just so excited for you guys to be here and I can't wait to share to share all the magic that is gonna keep on coming. I'll see you guys next week. 
Love, Lust, and Magic is produced by Zach Toman.